Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. In today's episode, I'm speaking to a fellow Dubai resident, Leonie Pitts. Leonie is mum to two girls, B5 and Dotty 1. Leonie tells me about her struggle with fertility before finally adopting B at 16 months from Ethiopia, and then her surprise pregnancy with her little bundle of naughtiness, Dotty. I've followed Leonie on Instagram for several years now, watching her complex journey through motherhood with admiration and awe. She writes open, from the heart, adoring posts about her girls that often leave me in tears with their raw emotion and beautiful words. This is part one of Leonie's journey, her road to meeting B. Okay, well, if we just go like right back to the beginning, um, yeah. how you and Lucas met, if you can remember. Okay, that. yes, now I can. Lucas and I met. Well, it's there's a long story and a short story. The sto- short story is that he was my father's lawyer. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, the long story is that I was having problems at work, and I met up with my dad for lunch. And in brief, he was like, "Oh, you should message." Lucas, I've just seen him about a legal thing. I'm sure he can help you with the work stuff that you need to research because it was a legal thing I was looking into. And I emailed him and then we emailed back and forth for a few days and then we went for a drink and then we moved in together like six months later. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and then that was that, basically. Gosh. And there's this, obviously, in the UK. Yes, yeah. So we met in London and then we moved out to Dubai because of his work in 2013. February 2013. Um, but yeah, we got married a couple of years prior to that. So when did you start trying? As soon as we got married. Oh, really? To be, well, so my brother, my old, I'm one of four, and my oldest brother got married the year before us. And I have always been desperate for kids. Like, it was a family joke when I was growing up. It was always, what do you want to be? I want to be a mummy. <laughs> and so I had to, we kind of have this, traditional thing I suppose in our family where it was the order like my brother had been with his now wife for such a long period of time he's in the army and we all waited quite a long time for him to propose but no one was going to be able to propose before he did because it was you know he had to do it first because they really needed to get married so anyway I was waiting for them so that then we should get married and then we could have kids and as soon as we got married we started trying and I had that like romantic idea when we were on our little mini moon in Rome like we might have just made a baby like literally the first second that you try and then it just kind of dragged on basically so that was 2011 you started 2011 yeah summer 2011 and then moved 2013 to Dubai yeah so things went on and on and I was impatient from the start anyway so I went to see my doctor in the UK uh, after a year, they said you had to mm-hmm. try for a year. Yeah. And then, I'm really testing my memory, but there was a lot of back and forth, but they didn't really do anything, basically. And then the possible move came up, and mm-hmm. it was like, okay, well, maybe we should wait. Yeah. Um, and then we moved out here. I gave up 
working because I kind of thought, well, now I'm not working. I'm going to be relaxed. I'm going to be in the sunshine. It's the perfect pregnancy conditions. So I thought I'd get pregnant as soon as we moved, basically. Um, And that was February 2013. And then, oh, no, really tests my memory. But then I saw a doctor here. And I'm trying to think when I did my first... IVF, but we had lots of tests first mm-hmm. and debate over whose fault or problem yeah. it was. And we never actually got any answers. It's that lovely unexplained infertility. I know, which I think is worse. But a lot of me just wanted something that we could fix. Yeah. Or something that, that we you knew would fix. Exactly. Almost, yeah. That would kind of draw a line under it. Yeah. Um, and when we first went, we did IVF with Bourne Hall here mm-hmm. in Dubai. And when we first went in to see them, I had my pragmatic head on. And this was before I kind of got into the emotional side of it. And then my opinion changed. But when we went in for our first consultation, I said, I know people who have done it nine times IVF and then they get their miracle baby. But realistically how many you know in terms of the probability and the likelihood and everything how many times is a decent number to try for before thinking you know it's not going to work yeah and he said three or four and I was like okay three so we're going to do three tries and if it doesn't work then we're going to do adoption wow so that's that's what I thought in my head then you go in and it was straight to adoption there was no thoughts of surrogacy or donor anything no for me it was always well for us we did talk about the options but and actually I had a friend here who loves being pregnant who was like, I'll be your surrogate I'll be your surrogate <laughs> but um for us it was all or not all or nothing but it had to be part of both of us yep. or neither of yes, us no, we wanted to be on kind of an equal pegging field and actually I do have a relative who did use a donor but that's you know there everybody has their own yeah, way of seeing things and doing things but um but yeah, so we we went in with that in mind and then once I got going with the IVF and you see how magical it is and you can see the embryos and you get the calls saying it's growing and everything, I'm like, well, it's going to work. It's, it's actually going to work. And then all the hormones make you feel all the feelings, but you don't actually know what pregnancy feels like, but you think this must be it. <laughs> and then the devastation for the phone call is just, yeah, the worst. So was that with every cycle? Yeah, we actually only ended up doing two. So after the second, so the first one, we told everybody. I'd been here. So when did we start? So we, I'm trying to think. We did. We moved to Dubai February 2013. Then the following year, we got our dog. He was my first baby Aww. to fill fill the void. Lovely polar. Yeah. And then uh, he was in the March actually 2014. And then I think we did it. It was later in the year, maybe October, that we did the first IVF. Mm-hmm. Um, so we told everybody, because by that point, it had been like a year and a half. I'd just been swanning about in Dubai, not really doing anything, and no one could really work out. But I'd made trying to have a baby my full-time job, basically. I was an acupuncturist. I was going to the IVF clinic. I was having all kinds of alternative treatments, basically anything anyone suggested. It is 100%. If you're going at it from the fertility perspective, there there is 
they were at so many appointments. Yeah. It's so, I don't know, people who work on top of that, they take my hat off to them. I know. It's incredible. I don't understand how they fit it in. So I was straight up with people. I thought it would make it easier. And actually, in hindsight, I don't know that it did. That our group of friends, who we hadn't been friends with for very long because we hadn't lived here yeah. for very long, they didn't have anything else to talk to me about. So every time it was a weekend get-together or something, oh, how's it all going? And it, to be honest, I needed time to just switch off from it and mm-hmm. be a bit more normal. So when that didn't work, the first cycle... We went into the second one. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell my mum, who got really upset later on that we hadn't told her. Um, We didn't tell anybody. And we just acted as though nothing was happening. And that was a lot easier. But then part of me, I'm not sure if it was easier because... The expectation. We'd done it before. And so we kind of knew what was happening. Yeah. Or what, but it was a lot easier having it as our secret and just pretending that it wasn't happening. But then it didn't work. And it was so devastating that I just, as soon as it didn't work, I said, I can't do it again. I can't. I gained two stone by that point, mm-hmm. partly from the hormones, partly from comfort eating yeah. and Jerry's. <laughs> yeah. um, and I've always had a sensitive body to everything anyway, or maybe I'm more sensitive to it. But like, I don't drink alcohol one of the reasons is because my body just can't I just I don't know it just rejects anything mm-hmm. that's not whole foods I suppose <laughs> so <laughs> so when it came it's to so all the cute. injections and everything well I'm not really I, I love rubbish food but it's just I don't know the drugs or the hormones or yeah I just it was it was I don't know how people do it so many times and I've got friends who've gone through it recently and I just I don't really know what to say to them in a way. I know I've been through it, but I just can't imagine doing it again. It was like the worst. You have all that hope attached to it, so you just get on with it. Mm-hmm. But when you look back, it's kind of traumatic, I think. Yeah, no, it is. It is. And I, I think what needs to come out of fertility clinics now is, is, is better emotional support. Because I Definitely. think there is There was enough, nothing. Yeah. yeah. Nothing it, at so. all. And I understand that they... They can't make any promises or any guarantees or... But all they're doing is selling hope. And it's magical in so many ways because I know quite a few friends who have these special IVF babies who are... Well, it's... I just do... I think it's truly magical what they can do in a laboratory. But, again, there's just... Yeah, as you say, there's no support for people that it doesn't work for. You just get a phone call saying, sorry... And then that was it. Gosh. So you did two rounds. Two rounds, yeah. And then did you regret not telling people for the second round in terms of you needing the support after it didn't work? No, because then I told the people that mattered, that I knew could support me the best. So family, mainly. Um. And I didn't have to talk about it to everybody all the time. Mm -hmm. So, no, it was definitely the right decision not to tell everyone. But I think in the first first time, we were just so excited and thinking that it could work. So, no, we got the support that we needed afterwards, and it was just before my 30th birthday. Gosh, you're so really young. Yeah, I was. Well, we got married really young, so Lucas and I... 
I always joke that I was tricked into the age gap, but I jokingly, <laughs> I jokingly said to my dad when he introduced us but didn't set us up, I jokingly said, oh, well, is he handsome? What does he look like? How old is he? And he just kind of took a guess. But my husband's one of those really annoying people who looks a lot younger than he is. Not so we actually have an 11-year age gap. Oh, do you? Yeah. yeah, no, I wouldn't have guessed well, that. Well, exactly. Yeah, yeah he's wow. got less wrinkles than I do. It's, it's really, really annoying. annoying. <laughs> My husband's a bit like that. He's got, like, baby skin. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> I'm like a wrinkly old sock. So, and I was, I'm an old romantic, and I wanted kids as soon as possible. So, oh, yeah, we kind of got married as soon as... I was 24 when we got married. Wow, you were so young. 24? 25. No, maybe I was 24 when we met. My memory is not what it was. Yeah, but yeah, that's what kids do. we were young anyway. <laughs> I was young. And then, was how long after deciding no more fertility treatment? So, no you... more fertility treatment. That was in the April, and I think a part of me used looking at adoption as a kind of therapy yeah. to get over. The idea that we couldn't have our own biological again, it's child. giving you hope, isn't it? Yeah, it was looking for the hope, looking for the positive story. So it was actually Instagram, which is where you and I met. <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> it is in a lot of ways. There's a lot of things I don't like about mm-hmm. Instagram, but it's brought me so many things. And one of them is a window into adoption. So my first, I don't actually know how I came across it, but there used to be a hashtag. It's not really used now because there's debate about whether it's the right thing to say, but it was adoption rocks. Do you know, I knew you were going to say that because I remember that from when the first time I started following you, mm. um, you'd, um, I'm spoiler alert, you'd just got B and, um, and you had polar. And I remember, I just really clearly remember seeing adoption rocks um, yeah. on your Instagram. So it was used a lot and I don't remember how I found it, but through that hashtag, I then met all these amazing people. A lot of them are in, are in America um, and the people I still follow now, and I, I feel like I know them, yeah. but we've never even spoken on the phone. And I know them and their kids and their whole story of how they came to be. And it's through the hashtag. And, uh, and I guess, yeah, it just gave me hope. And it saw, because even though I'd always said, if this doesn't work, then we will adopt. Mm-hmm. You do kind of wonder, but can I? Am I... Not worthy, but do I have the physical... I mean, you're emotionally and physically drained after the IVF, so it's do I have the power to love a child that I didn't carry, basically, in that same way? Yeah. You just kind of doubt yourself. So it was very reassuring to see other people who... They weren't Angelina Jolie. They weren't anybody special. They hadn't done anything. They weren't hippies. And are they people who had gone through a, a, lot of them, a similar experience to yeah, you? Yeah, a lot of them had gone through infertility as well. And so that gave me a lot of hope. And then after that, um, doing a lot of research in Dubai about where we could adopt from, because mm-hmm. you're quite restricted. Being an expat living here, it's based upon... Well, my first person I called was Bernardo's in the UK. <clears throat> but if you don't live in the UK, you can't, you can't adopt in the UK. So it was like, okay, well, that's not an option unless... But then you're like, oh, well, maybe we could, we could just go and live for a few months and adopt and then we'll move back. Like, I'll do anything mm-hmm. to get this child. Um, but then we came across... They call it ASG, but it stands for Adoption Support Dubai. 
And at the time, it was on Yahoo, which I don't even know if that exists anymore. <laughs> no, that's old school. But, um, <laughs> there was the a 90s, group, exactly, <laughs> a group with all these documents that was totally overwhelming, but all these people who had adopted whilst living in Dubai. And most of them had adopted from Ethiopia. And from the beginning, we weren't actually sure where we wanted to adopt from. So we looked into a lot of different possibilities. Uh, we looked at Armenia for quite a long time, spoke to lawyers there, and it was all very complicated. And it was, so this was in, oh, and then we went to, so the ASG met up every month. They don't anymore, sadly, but every month there was a meetup and it tended to be people who were doing their paperwork and wanted the extra help. So yeah. some old timers went to help, uh, advise them on things but things are always changing with the paperwork and as you know living in Dubai it kind of depends on who you see at the desk that day as to what stamp you need or (laughs) it's quite subjective um which made it even harder but it was a support thing every month people talking and so I went to well we went to a meeting in June um just to kind of meet some people and find some stuff out and there's someone who I'm now friends with on Facebook and Instagram and I've met her in real life and everything and she came to that meeting in floods of tears and she just had the phone call from her facilitator in Ethiopia saying we've got a match there's a baby boy uh, and he's waiting for you and we want you to come and meet him and she was in absolute floods and that he's he's now called Leo and he's a little bit older than B and um, I remember so vividly just being like oh my god that could be me because the thing with the adoption was rather than the IVF it was we are going to have a baby it's just a case of when and where from whereas the IVF it was will we won't Uh we so there was always it was a much more positive yeah a lot of certainty yeah although when you get into it there's not really much certainty in it at all but in my head it was we will we just have to be patient one way or another I'm so happy to say that this episode of Motherhood Exposed has been sponsored by my favourite baby shop in Dubai, Eggs and Soldiers, the parenting treasure trove on the ground floor of Times Square Centre and online at eggsandsoldiers.com. Launched in 2014 by lifelong UAE resident and mother of four, Sophie Chabowski, Eggs and Soldiers proudly researches, personally tests and cherry picks eco-aware, sustainable and locally sourced baby essentials and playtime equipment, plus the world's safest and most rigorously tested strollers and car seats. This is where you'll find honest advice about the best purchases for your baby, toddler and family's ever-changing needs, plus tips on what you can definitely do without. Check out eggsandsoldiers.com where you can live chat with the team and order with free speedy delivery throughout the UAE and across the Middle East. Not only that, but the lovely team at Eggs and Soldiers have given all Motherhood Exposed listeners a 10% discount code valid until November the 8th. So for online purchases, use Zoe CM10. Z-O-E-C-M-10. And then you started down the paperwork. So we started the paperwork. Yeah, we did. We started the paperwork in the August, which I find really spooky because it was actually two days after B's birthday that we did our first. But we didn't know that she was born at that point. We had no connection whatsoever. But when you look back at the dates, it's quite spooky. Yeah. Um, so we started our paperwork then, and it starts with a psychologist. So there's a, you have to have what's called a home study. And it's composed of all these different elements. And to be honest, it depends on which country you're from, where you're living and what country you're adopting from. So I wouldn't want to say exactly because it will be different for every person. But 
um, it's composed of lots of different elements, such as a psychology test and police reports and bank statements and all kinds of background checks, basically. And then you have to do a compulsory... They were kind of seminars. So um, you can choose how many weeks you want to spread them over, but it's 10 hours that you need to do covering various different topics. So did you do them all in the first day? <laughs> no, actually, we spread them out. Um, but we did do, like, three-hour... Well, actually, no, we didn't spread them out that much. Two, three-hour <laughs> well, chunks. I didn't know that would be the case. Yeah, we did it pretty quick. Although, then it took a long time to get all the other... We had to get certain documents from the UK, and then you had to get them stamped in other places. and So it does... It takes quite a long time to sort out all the paperwork. So we started everything in August and then you don't have to go anywhere to submit it. You can just send it on an email. But we went to Ethiopia the following February and took it with us. Oh, wow. Met with the facilitators. We met with two. Some people just meet with one. And, um, and we kind of got put on a waiting list, basically. But we wanted to see a bit of the country and understand a little bit more we were only there for a long weekend and it's only a four-hour flight so it wasn't a big thing really but it was yeah it was very exciting that must have been that must have been really surreal so knowing that you were you were you were so close at this point yeah and we went into a couple of orphanages as well oh my god it's so heartbreaking I mean to be honest it's just as well we'd already submitted all our paperwork at this point because you go in and all these little toddlers come running up and go, Mama, Mama, Mama. I would have taken 10. Like, they are, oh, you just want to give them all homes and love. And were you given an idea of how long you would have to wait for? Well, yes and no. So, we, by this point, we had met quite a few people in Dubai who had adopted from Ethiopia. So, we knew what their different timelines were. I was always quizzing everybody about everything. Um, I imagine you had a spreadsheet going. (laughs) I had so many Excel documents. (laughs) But there were, at that time, I mean, I have friends who met their baby and then had them at home in two months. Oh, that's really quick. Um, But what we were told to expect was submitting our paperwork and we should have a match within about a month. (gasps) And then after that, we'd go to meet them. And then after meeting them, it would be maybe another two. So it was like, Ooh. That's actually really quick. I thought okay, it well, yeah, than that. But it didn't turn out that way. So. so what happened? So we submitted our paperwork in February. And we got, um, that was the 3rd of February. And we got a match on the 20th of May. And then what? So that's you why we actually. Got a match. What was that like? What? I was talking to our facilitator today randomly because it was Ethiopian New Year on the weekend. Yeah. So I was messaging him pictures of B. And, um, and he, I think one of the reasons that we became friends is because in those three months, I messaged him so many times <laughs> following up, being like, Is there any news? Have you found any? Tell me. Um, and I probably drove him absolutely mad. <laughs> but eventually we did get a match. And I was, well, we've been waiting for so long. And actually, because I kept pestering him, so normally what they would do uh, in our situation when we were adopting, they would wait until the baby had all the documents needed to make sure that they weren't matching you with a baby that couldn't officially be adopted. But because I was being such a damn pest, 
we kind of got drip fed information. So he was like, well, there is a little girl, but I haven't got the medical yet and I haven't got this yet. And I thought, okay, so I kind of wait. And then a few days later, it would be oh, like, gosh, okay, so it really is. Is that worse? <laughs> yeah, it is worse, oh. but I did it to myself. <laughs> um, and I didn't want to believe it at any point, really. So the first time when he said there's a little girl, it was like, okay. And we just kind of spent the day being like, so does this mean this is happening? Is it ha- Should we believe it's happening? Like, and we went for lunch. And also a girl. Are we, are we having a girl? Yeah. Or... Um, oh. And we went for lunch and we kind of like, oh, should we have champagne? Like, is this a celebratory? We don't really know. But we finally got all the information and everything through on the 20th of May. Well, the 20th of May is when I got her first picture, maybe. No, 13th. No, we met her on the 20th you of said May. You're, you said you're bad at dates. You're listing this It's because I've got so, <laughs> I've got so... I love an anniversary yeah. and celebrating all these things. So I know the day that we got... We got her first picture was on the 13th of May, but we couldn't fly out until another week because Lucas had work stuff that he needed to do. Oh, and I, you must that, have hated him for that. Well, I had to buy clothes and nappies and Fine. act like a first-time mum with a week till my delivery date kind of thing. So it was a crazy week. But at the time, I was like, are you sure we can't fly tomorrow? Are you sure? But, um, yeah, so... We got her first picture, I remember, really vividly. And that's what we'd been waiting for, is the confirmation that it was, like, definitely going through. So that was our proper match. And I'd been waiting all day because I knew that she was travelling from the countryside through to Addis, uh, the capital in Ethiopia. And, um, and I was waiting all day to find out that it was all fine and she got her medical results and she was there and we could officially go ahead with it. And I didn't expect it to take all day so I was checking my phone non-stop and it was when I was walking the dog in the evening that I got the message and then my phone died because I'd been on it all day checking for messages so then I ran home (laughs) and that's when we first saw her picture well I first saw her picture Lucas was still at work I probably should have waited but I couldn't and then he came in from work and I tried to act really cool because I wanted it to be like the perfect moment because you kind of dreamed about announcing pregnancies and you've dreamed yeah, about all yeah. these different things. And I was cooking dinner and he came in and I'm trying to be chilled, but he could tell. <laughs> he could tell. And uh, and so, yeah, told him in the kitchen. Um, and what was it like seeing her for the first time? Oh, I guess on screen, but... Uh, it's hard to put into... It's, it's funny because now... Well, another spoiler alert, but now I've done both. Yeah. The pregnancy and the adoption. I just... I don't know there's nothing that you can compare it to, really. She's got... I don't know if it's... I mean, I suppose it's a baby thing. All babies have quite big eyes. Mm -hmm. And she was nine months at the time. Um, And she just arrived in this new orphanage and she was clearly slightly terrified and so her eyes are really big and wide and I spent a whole week analysing every single thing about the picture she's got her little fingers crossed and she's wearing a blue striped baby grow and her big eyes are staring at the camera she's got a little afro um I don't really know I just but I think I think the only thing you can liken it to is when you give birth to a baby but I hadn't been through the labour and I didn't so I don't know if it's partly more the shock and surprise that you're just going about your day and then suddenly here's your baby. Like, it's a... Yeah. 
Yeah, there's not really anything to compare it to. No, I don't think there is anything you can compare that to. But then again, a week later we met her, and again, that's like a whole other... This is why I'm obsessed with all the dates, because they're just such big moments. Um, so what was that week like, running up to, to going? Oh, I just felt like... Well, it was very exciting, and up until that point we hadn't really told anybody. Oh, you kept that quiet well? Well, we told family, but yeah. friends and everything. Um and at this point, because of the timeline we'd been given, I'm like, well, we should tell everybody because in a couple of months we're going to have a baby. <laughs> so I'm messaging everybody like crazy, um, which again was one of those. In hindsight, I probably should have kept it to ourselves for longer because everything dragged on and I kept getting asked, when's she coming home? And I didn't know. And it was heartbreaking. But um, it was very exciting telling everybody, like, it's this whole big reveal. Yeah. Um, and then... What was it like shopping? Shopping was amazing, but equally... Well, I'd already bought some things. Um, <laughs> but we didn't know what age we were going to be matched with or anything like that. So the things that I had in her, her wardrobe were like for two-year-olds because I thought, well, that possibly... At least then she can grow into it. Yeah. So there were things that I had hanging up for years before she actually wore them. But um, especially because she was small, so <laughs> she didn't wear them for ages. <laughs> Um, but I felt like a bit of a fake shopping, to be honest. I remember going into Mamas and Papas in Dubai Mall, and I wasn't pregnant, but I wasn't buying for somebody else. But then I hadn't met the baby, so I didn't know what size she was oh, or what was going to fit so her. so surreal. Um, and I was just trying to buy things. But equally, and I knew she didn't have anything that was her own, but equally she was in the orphanage and I wasn't bringing her home in anything and I wanted it to be practical and but I I was a new mum I didn't know what was practical what wasn't so I'm messaging my sisters-in-law being like what does a nine-month-old do trying to think of toys to buy and take I've still got some of them cups was top of the list which is funny Dottie's still yeah cups yeah the best thing to buy I think that's probably one of our main toys cups and some touchy-feely books basically isn't it and then each time we went out to visit her, we took a couple of extra toys, but we always took them home and then took them back out again. So I don't know if she was more excited to see us or the toys, <laughs> but it made her smile. Um, but yeah, so shopping was crazy. And then nappies and formula. I've got, I took a picture of my suitcase and it's, it's quite funny looking back on it. Some of the things that we, take, we never used or played with or anything... And that it just the amount of nappies and formula that I took. But we did that every visit we went back. We took a suitcase that was full of nappies and formula because they never have enough. No. And although, actually, what I did do with them, in the end, I spoke to Sophie at Eggs and Soldiers mm-hmm. and she donated a whole load of... That's awesome. ...reusable ones, which is much better than yeah. taking all of the others. That's really cool. So you then get on a plane and off you go to see her. Yeah, yeah. Um, Okay, so what was it like when you first met her then? Well, again, that was one of those things where I was getting really itchy feet. So we landed earlier in the day and we thought we were meeting her at one time. But Ethiopia is just, it's just another world. So... We thought we just spent a long time waiting at our hotel, thinking that we were going to see her. And it was getting towards the end of the day. And I was getting increasingly upset, thinking that we're not going to meet her or even questioning, like, is this even real? Because now 
that I didn't really believe any of it. And then finally, I mean, he'd, he'd been stuck in traffic or something really menial, but, you know, you're in Africa, so you can't just pick up the phone. And um, So anyway, so then we got in the car and we're driving for what seemed like forever along very busy roads, lots of traffic, just crawling the whole way. It probably wasn't even very far, but it took so long. And then it's cobbled streets, the last bit, so you're all bumping up and down. And then we get to these massive, big red iron gates. And we didn't really know what to expect, even though we'd seen a couple of orphanages. It's just, yeah, that it's, it's just different from anything you can imagine, really. Then we get into the gates, and there were about 40 kids in, in the orphanage where B was. Um, half of those were under two, and then the others are all kind of older, playing out in the courtyard. But we kind of went into a room and we waited. And I wanted to have the moment that we met her captured on camera. So I gave my phone to our facilitator, Alula. And again, I don't know why it took... So I think it was probably her dinner time or so we'd just like come at totally the wrong time of day. It was like 5 p.m., um, which if somebody arrived here now, I'd just shoo them out the door. But, um, the house is chaos. And we were just sat there, like, twiddling our thumbs, getting more and more like, oh, God. And every time someone walked past the window, it was like, oh, no, they're not coming in. So he's actually got a few videos where it was like a full start of him videoing us, just nervously pacing. Um, and Lucas is like, oh... I hope you're not going to cry. I said, well, I'm definitely going to cry. There's like chit-chat on video. It's quite funny looking back. And then uh, one of the nannies just comes in and hands it to me. And we sat down and I was just, so I'd read all these books because I didn't, despite having wanted a baby forever, I realised when we got matched, I didn't know the slightest thing about them. I had all these nephews and do I, have any I think that's that true point? for most, most yeah. new, new mums. So I'm reading all these different books about what nine months old are like. And there was one thing that slightly terrified me where I'd read this whole, I think it was in a Gina Ford book that talked about separation anxiety and nine months old being this like key period when they don't like to be separated. So I was really paranoid that she'd be handed to us and then burst out screaming. So I was like, I just don't want her to scream. I don't want to scare her or make her cry or anything. So... I was just very cautious and wary about that. So I was very pleased that she didn't scream. But she did look terrified. I don't think she'd seen a white face I was going to say, were you the first white people she'd ever Quite seen? Quite possibly. I mean, other people did visit the orphanage um, when we were there, but they didn't really interact. Because you're in this separate room yeah, from yeah. everybody else, you didn't really interact with the kids. So quite possibly we were the first white faces. But that first week, we... so. I think we were the first people that did this because we, we went and we met her and we stayed there for maybe 40 minutes, an hour. Oh, that's um, nothing, is it? No, just talking to her. And in the end, we did get a smile out of her. And, uh, and then we said, OK, what time can we come back tomorrow? And he was like, oh, tomorrow. I said, yeah, no, we're, we're here for a week. We want to come every day and we want to see every minute that we can of her. He was like, oh, this has never happened before. Oh, really? Because normally, because it was such a quick process, people would come and they'd meet them, they'd go home, organise everything, come back, pick them up, and then take them home. Whereas we were like, no, we want, we want to get to know her. Um, and so, yeah, the next day, I don't think we were supposed to visit, but they let us. And then the day after that, 
was it a Sunday? But they were closed for visiting. So it was like, what? We've flown to So we had to just busy ourselves in Edis, which was actually, in hindsight, it was quite a good thing. Like, we just randomly ended up probably quite dangerously chatting to some locals and going to this, like, barbecue thing. And <laughs> it was a bit where Lucas nearly got pickpocketed outside the museum. We, like, went to different places. <laughs> Um, and then the other days we went and saw her for every minute that we could so we arrived at eight o'clock that was when visiting started although we were the only visitors and then uh, she'd stay with us until her nap time at lunchtime and they'd take her away and we'd sit there twiddling our thumbs being like is she awake yet is she awake yet so they wouldn't let you keep her to nap no she'd go and sleep in the room um, although she was exhausted because she was only nine months old. I was going to say, and having, suddenly having so much attention. Yeah, and all been, the stimulation yeah. and the games and the toys and everything, and actually more food than she'd ever had before as well because we took snacks and things uh-huh. as well. Um, but because they had so many babies, I think the only way that they could manage it was to have them all on the same schedule. Yeah, so a lot of, of people with a nine-month-old would give them two naps, but, you know... If she'd been in the room, she might have fallen asleep in her bed because that's where they generally stayed. But when she was with us, she, she only got one nap. And then she slept for hours and we were just sat there being like, can someone wake her up? <laughs> um, and then we'd stay till 4.30 and then we'd go home. Well, go back to the hotel and spend all evening sending pictures and videos to our parents and looking at them all and then going back the next day. So we did that for a week and then we came home. What was it like coming back? Oh, my God, it was so horrible. Horrible. I spent the whole flight basically crying and putting together a video. So that became my thing. And so on the first day, I put together a video of us meeting her, set to music, and it came on in Spinney's on the weekend. I was walking around Spinney's and it comes on, yeah, oh, Thousand Years by Christina Perry. And I was like, oh God, I can't cry right now. I'm in the supermarket. Um, yeah, so that was, I did a little video for us meeting her. And then I did a video on the flight home because it's four hours I had to fill and all I could do was look at her picture so I don't know when I, I must have just come up with the idea that I'd do a highlight thing and I can't remember what song I set that to oh it's a song about adoption that I found but so I did a highlights video from our week and then that became a thing every single visit we did I made a video on the flight home in the four hours just on iMovie I'm no tech like I, don't, I don't know how to do anything like that normally, but it was quite easy to slot them in. And quite therapeutic, I imagine. Yeah, definitely. And then I watched them for weeks until we went to see her again. And that was how I got through it, basically, because it ended up being just over seven months from us meeting her to bring her home. Wow. Mm. That's a long time. Yeah. It was. And how often did you get to see her? We went every few weeks. There was a, a big gap... Um, in the summer because of September and they have New Year in September yeah. so we couldn't really travel there at that time and she just had cholera which was a whole other story but she got cholera oh. in the middle of it all so she was in quarantine for a while which now seems like a normal word but at the time <laughs> yeah. at the time that was a bit crazy um, and she was lucky to get through that so yeah there was a bit of a gap in the summer and then she came home in the December. But yeah, we saw her every few weeks. And was she, by this point, recognising you when you came? Yeah. The heart, she started, it's when she started crying when we left that it was hard. 
And I don't really remember much of my Amharic now, which is the language they speak there. But one of the phrases was, we're coming back tomorrow. Um, so I used to say, shoot, we were never really sure. I mean, as a baby, you don't know how no. much English yeah. they're understanding, how much of anything they're understanding. But English would be her third language because there's lots of different mm-hmm. languages in Ethiopia. So she was in the country with one language. Mm-hmm. She moved to Addis with another. And then we were speaking to her in English. She probably didn't know what was going on. But yeah, and the hardest thing about it just was that we'd been given this expectation, not because of anybody's fault, but just from previous people's experience of how long it was going to take. So what what was the delay? Paperwork, basically. Um, They've since closed international adoptions from Ethiopia. And I think probably at that time is when they started thinking about closing it. And it just became a lot harder to get the paperwork you needed and a lot slower. And they... I mean, it, all of the paperwork is done for the benefit of the children. It's to prevent child trafficking. Mm-hmm. It's to protect them and make sure that they're going to homes that are going to look after them and all of this. So we were trying to stay very positive and see it all as, you know, we'd much rather do it this way than do some kind of crazy backhander somewhere and not know if the child is actually needing a family or being taken from a family or... Of course, you know, all of these unknowns. So although the waiting was horrendous, we felt like it was the best situation because we knew that it was doing things the right way, Mm -hmm. uh, which was reassuring. Um, So you bought her home in December? December, yeah, December the 21st. Also close to Christmas. It was. We weren't sure. So we flew out on the 7th and that was... It was a visit, but equally, we'd left presents under the tree, we'd left the car seat in the car, and I basically said, it's been too long, we are going, and we're not coming home until we've got her. <laughs> and it, it took a couple of weeks, <laughs> but we did it. Did it help that Lucas is a lawyer? No, sadly. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, sadly, that didn't help at all. It probably made it more frustrating because... Well, for him, he understands the way that certain laws work, but you know, Ethiopia is a totally different yeah. ballgame. Plus, he doesn't do anything to do with family law, so he wouldn't really know anyway. But no, no, that wasn't a benefit. But yeah, we got home just in time for Christmas. And again, what was that like? Like flying uh, with her and well, so taking actually, her away from the orphanage. What you have to taking her away from the orphanage was a heartbreaking because there have they'd become her family over all those months and everyone's crying the nannies are crying the baby's crying you're crying um and you know that you're taking them on to bigger and better things but be their mother well yeah and that but it's just part of you does feel guilty that you're taking them away from who they've seen to be their mother up until that point even though you know they couldn't stay there forever But for that time, it was their safe place. Exactly, yeah. So up until then, um, the only time we'd ever left the orphanage was to take her to the doctor. So she had been in a car with us before, but then we got to the hotel room and I've got videos. She's just like wandering about and there's a bed where I'd put a few toys and she's asking me, so I get out all the different toys and she's just wandering about. She looked totally carefree. It was us that had the hang-ups, I think. 
So but she's by that point, 18 months? 16 months. Okay. By that point, she knew us so well. She didn't have any worries about getting in a car and coming with us, really. Which I guess is the beauty, I guess, of the longer yeah, period. Yeah, it was way. definitely a benefit. It would have been a much different transition without that. Um, and then, but you don't just hang out in the hotel. We had all this paperwork to do, so we had to get her a passport, uh, a visa for here, and all these, I mean, I can't even remember the different things, but we just, the next day you're straight out to an office, yeah. carrying her with you, not sure what the locals think about you carrying a little Ethiopian baby. Um, and it's not like you can use a pram because they're not real streets no, like we have. Yeah. So you're carrying everything and you've got a baby bag and you've never done it before and <laughs> they're eating different food for the first time. So the nappies are unbelievable. <laughs> uh, it was quite an experience. But we were really lucky in that we had friends who were going through it with us. So we completed our court date on the same day as friends we have down the road here in Dubai. Oh, wow. These best friends. So we met during the adoption process. Um, our facilitator put us in touch with each other. So we met the girls six days apart and then came home one day apart. And they used to go to school together. Now they're at separate schools, but we see them all the time. That must have been so special. Yeah, so we had each other, especially because after a few days, then the dads had to come back to Dubai to sort out the visas. So it was just the mums and the babies left. Oh, wow. So I flew back with her by myself and then met Lucas when we got home. So that was a bit crazy, especially because my friend's paperwork hadn't... It was was a little bit awkward, but her, her paperwork hadn't sorted out quite in time so I left her on her own and she luckily managed to sort it out the next day but so I just came to the airport and you get to the airport and you've got your documents and you know everything's right but checking in at the airport with a baby that you've only just adopted is terrifying you're always waiting for somebody to like take her off you or something and then we got on the plane and and I was always paranoid because of these nappy explosions that they were always going to happen. So then I'm trying to like, I mean, trying to change a nappy in a toilet it's in a plane enough, is yeah. horrendous yeah. anyway. <laughs> but when it's only like the second week of you ever changing a nappy, yeah. And she's 16 and months, so she's wriggling and like, she's not a newborn, she's rolling around and yeah. yeah. And aeroplane nappies are always special, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, and then trying to keep her still on my lap and I put... Um, I put the TV on as a kind of distraction because she'd never really seen TV at this point. So that helped. Ants. You know the movie Ants? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That was playing. We weren't watching it, but it kind of kept her busy a little bit. Yeah, and then we got home and it was like 9pm. Lucas picked us up from the airport and I sat in the back with her, with her in a car seat, but it was her first time in a car seat at 16 months. So I wasn't sure how she would be, but she's just smiling away as though nothing's different. And then put her to bed. Actually, no going back a bit the weirdest when we first got her to the hotel room so our first night together as a family and we'd seen and asked lots of questions with a translator about how they did it at the orphanage so we're like right we're not going to change anything no matter what our opinions are we're just going to do it exactly how they did it and we can make our own opinions when we know what we're doing um and what they used to do because the babies spent so much time in their beds, they used to just, and there's so many, they can't feed them all. So they just gave them their bottles, put them in their bed. They fed themselves and they fell asleep and kept the bottle with them. So they kind of used it as a pacifier. Yeah. Um, 
but so that's what we did. We did we did lunch and then we did dinner. We played and everything. Saw her friend downstairs in the lobby, and then we tried to give her a bath, but she was absolutely terrified of water. Just lots of screaming. So we tried to give her a shower. That didn't work either. So fine, you could just be dirty, whatever. And then got her ready for bed, gave her her milk, put her in the car. And we had a room that had like a living room. So she was in there. We went into the bedroom. And then I woke up maybe six in the morning being like, What's we haven't heard anything. What's happened? Is this normal? She hasn't. Are you sure she's okay? Do you think she's still asleep? Like, we don't want to disturb. And I, it was the most crazy, confusing thing like we've slept all the way through we totally like her first night in a new place with new parents and yeah I think she eventually woke up at like 7 30 or something but I mean it had been a big day but I suppose she wasn't that bothered or but also in the orphanage there was never anybody there which is heartbreaking so they didn't cry out in the night so in that sense we had a very easy job in the first months of parenthood because we weren't sleep deprived in any way she slept through straight away um is it still the same now does she still sleep well now or does she funnily enough she never gets out of her bed so if she needs us she'll shout Mm -hmm. but she'd never come into our room which i think must be an orphanage thing slightly because they weren't allowed she was well they didn't really have their own bed they just kind of got put in one that was empty um so there were definitely a couple of times she was in more of a toddler bed, even though she was small. So they just had Dr. to stay. Thirty was the same though. He only the last eight months. Oh yeah, has he been getting up? Oh maybe there you go. Maybe we've got it to come. <laughs> yeah. It was after Dottie, when Dottie was born though. She woke us up a lot in the night, and I think she was very conscious of the fact that we were all in together, and she was out on her yeah. own. But. Once Dottie went into her own room, which we actually did sooner, having realised that. Um, plus, she was like a little pig. She made so much noise at night. <laughs> so we moved her out when she was three months, and after that, B was absolutely fine. She didn't wake in the night at all. That's interesting. Anyway, sorry, I've no, gone off on a tangent. No, there's lots of tangents. We could talk, I think, literally all night. Mm. So where are we? Your home? Uh so you, you've arrived home and then it's yeah. Christmas and then go well it's the 21st of December been... well I thought it was going to be really cool and family time Lucas is like oh I've got to go to the office tomorrow what <laughs> what okay my first day at home and then suddenly you're back it must have been even more strange being in your own environment yeah with all the stuff that we'd bought with her when she was yeah, here so I remember going for our part part of the reason I remember all these things so clearly is because I've got videos of every single moment <laughs> so going for our first walk her first time in the pram how did she find a pram oh, she loved it I was terrified that she was going to scream yeah. constantly for all of these things but she'd never seen anything so exciting in her life so oh. she was actually the easiest baby ever she was just my little sidekick we had to go to the post office because her Christmas stocking had arrived and I needed to pick it up and have <laughs> Christmas I love this um yeah and it was a was it just before the weekend so like we had to do it then or we weren't going to be able to do it so our first day we went we went walked the dog we went to the post office we probably went to the supermarket we did all these things in one day that she'd never done before ever and she's just smiling through it the whole time (laughs) getting lots of looks um and then it was and then it was christmas which was our first christmas that we've spent alone 
rather than with any family. Uh, and it was amazing. And actually, it's probably for the best it was just us, because just as we sat down for Christmas lunch, she had a horrendous nappy explosion and full outfit change, full everything. We all had to eat lunch cold. But <laughs> It was just us. So well, that's matter. just like the perfect like introduction to parenthood, yeah, though, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> Cold food. Oh, and then there was meeting Polar as well, who was our only baby until she arrived. Um, so he had been at kennels, and we'd said to them when we left, "We don't know how long we're going for, so if you could just keep him indefinitely, and we'll let you know when we're back." Yeah. And they'd known all through the adoption because every time we went to Ethiopia, he went in for the weekend. Um, so yeah, we went to pick him up, and we'd read so much about introducing dogs to babies. And but you know, she's a walking baby. Had you she done wasn't anything like take any of her clothes back with you from Ethiopia? No, we hadn't actually. Um, I I played like baby crying noises a bit around the house because I was slightly concerned about that. But actually, she didn't make that much noise really. Um, she's making up for that now, is she? Oh yeah, she's a real <laughs> chatterbox now. But yeah, so we went, the, the thing they said was to meet on a, uh, what's the word? Neutral? Yes, neutral ground. But what we decided to do instead was she went up for her nap, Lucas went to get him from the kennels, and then he came back, and he could smell her in the house, but didn't actually meet her, so we got used to that for a bit, and then Lucas brought her down the stairs and... Pella was so excited. Oh. Trying to lick her. I'm just glad she didn't scream because he was right in her face. Well, had she seen dogs before? No, never seen a dog before. Sometimes you'd get the odd stray cat jumping over the wall of the orphanage, but she'd (laughs) never seen any dogs. And at that time as well, he was the same height as her, so their faces were like face-to-face when she stood up. Um, But Lucas was holding, holding her in his arms as he came down the stairs. But yeah, Pola's always been really gentle with her. He's been a good boy. Um, yeah, and then it was New Year. And then it was just life, really. She came everywhere with me. And that was that? That was that. And what was it like taking her? Like you said before, like she got lots of looks. Was that admiring looks or quizzical looks? Lots of admiring looks, mostly. Every now and then you'd get a crazy comment in the supermarket from someone basically just being nosy. But like, I'm all for, and my Instagram has always been about, although I've made it private recently, it's always been about trying to... Yeah, I had a bit of a freak out. That's a whole different story. But (laughs) um, it's always been about, you know, I'm not particularly sensitive about anything. Mm -hmm. And I remember before we got into adoption, how little I knew or understood. And I never went out to offend anybody, but I probably said a lot of things that weren't totally appropriate. But it was always with the best intention. So I try and keep an open mind with things like that when people ask questions. But a lot of the time, the people who ask the more insensitive questions are only asking because they want to know for themselves and they're just being nosy. It's not anyone who actually is considering adoption or anything like that. And that's why it annoys me. Um, I can't think about them. What has been said off the top of my head now, maybe I've kind of blanked it out, but it was a long time ago. I remember there was one time in Chotrams in the Greens where I came home and just cried. And I think it's partly because Bee was getting to the age where she was talking and listening and 
that's the thing when people ask questions they don't consider that the child is actually listening in as well it's not me you're talking to it's both of us and you don't ever want them to get any negative feelings about it did you ever experience a difference between countries like when you took her back to the uk was it different yeah it's worse in london actually the looks as being a white man with a black baby yeah you get a lot of looks in london but i don't know i don't know why I mean, I know we're very multicultural here in Dubai, but we're not without racism. Multicultural in London as well, Well, yeah, yeah. But you do get a lot of looks. But then, I don't know. A lot of me at the beginning, first time mum, I'm like, oh, she's so beautiful. Everybody's just looking. She is so beautiful, (laughs) (laughs) and she was so cute at that point. It's funny now that Dotty is in her old clothes. It makes me realise how small B was. I love when you do those comparisons. (laughs) She was so skinny, and there's lots of things that. Dotty doesn't like there's all these shoes Dotty won't fit in them now but B wore them when she was like one and a half two and she's walking around and with all this character already because that's when not when you fall in love with babies but when you can fall in love with other people's children tends to be when they've got all that character yeah, and personality, and personality coming starts through coming out, and she really had right. it when she still looked so small but yeah she she had a lot of admirers and what about her past does she know she, well, we've always said, and they go into a lot of this when you're doing the compulsory sessions, um, is that you you answer questions, but you don't necessarily freely give information. So obviously we've got a lot of paperwork from everything. Um, and I like to proactively bring up certain things because I think it's, better for things to come from me I'm always terrified that someone's going to tell her something that Mm -hmm. she doesn't know yeah but the main thing is that it's her story and it's not ours so if she wants to know it she can ask as much as she wants and we'll tell her as much as we can but if anybody else asks then it's kind of a closed book really yeah um but she's very inquisitive and I've got a lot of friends now who adopted and their kids are about the same age and I feel like B asks more questions than any of their kids because you get on the WhatsApp and it's like, oh, what did you do when your kid says this? And like, oh, it hasn't happened to me. I'm like, right, I have to think of something by myself. And she always, it's, I think it's when she turned three was her most curious phase. And it would always be at seven o'clock in the morning when you're not quite awake. Yeah, half asleep. And she'd just throw a birth mother question at you and you'd be like, oh, um, at three. Yeah, that's huge. I know. She asked, I mean, she, because they say, because we did a lot of things about race when we were doing our compulsory sessions, and it's psychologically or, I don't know, scientifically proven, apparently, that kids don't notice things about race until, I think it's like six or something. But she was two. It was our first flight home for Christmas. So the following year, she'd been home for a year, and... We were waiting to board our flight and Lucas just went to walk with her around the airport, Uh trying to fill a bit of time. She was getting antsy. And he came back and he was like, she knows we're white. She knows we're white. And she'd stood there and she'd said, the plane is white. Daddy's white. B is black. And it's the first time. And we were like, oh my God, what do we do? What do we? But she was two and she was learning her colours. And to her... That's what it was. Yeah. We were white. She was black. It was just a, you know, she wasn't making any observations about genes or parenthood or any of that. It was just very, which is how 
I suppose we've learned as we've gone along, a lot of the time, that's all it is. It's child, childish innocence where they're just curious, basically, and they don't know the implications of the questions that they're asking. But how did you... Because obviously you need to introduce the fact that she is adopted. How did that yeah. get brought into... Well, different people do it in different ways. Um, I did a storybook that my mother-in-law is an artist and I got her to illustrate it. And it was a story all about her becoming B. So when we met her, she was actually called Bontu. And we changed her name and she's kept Bontu as a middle name. And we called it Becoming Beatrix. And, uh, and it tells the story of us meeting her and then her becoming part of the family, basically. And it's one of her favourite books. And we got it published and it's like a proper book in the bookshelf. Um, but the first time we properly talked about it, so what you have to do once you've adopted, you have to do these annual reports, or at least if you adopted from Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. And for the first couple of years you need to do that officially with your social worker equivalent um they're not called that here but that would people understand and they come to your house and they talk about how things are going and they talk to the child or view them or whatever and they fill out a report and then you send it back to Ethiopia um and the first time we had our report she was asking very like how are we all doing oh yeah it's amazing she's still amazing we love her it's like the best thing ever and then she's asking like so um our social worker actually she has biological and she also has adopted kids so she's been through it all herself they're older now um but she has that on top of being a psychologist or i probably got that wrong i always get it mixed up but anyway she has actual qualifications as well as life experience and um and she was asking, you know, have you talked about adoption and any of that? And I was like, well, no, not really. I mean, she's still, she's like two, two and a half. I don't really know that she'd understand and blah, blah, blah. But when we did our um, compulsory sessions, the first question we were asked, in fact, no, the first question was, why do you want to adopt? Which was a hard one because you don't want to get struck on any list or anything and you're scared of saying the wrong thing but the second one was when do you think you should tell the child that they were adopted and the answer is basically it should never be a question they should just know it Mm -hmm. and I was always terrified that somebody else would tell her thank you for listening to Leonie's amazing story of becoming a mummy to her gorgeous daughter Bee I could listen to her tell it again and again I just love following her anniversary posts on Instagram Don't forget to stay tuned for part two. And if you haven't already, join the Motherhood Exposed Facebook community.